Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I am really glad that you are here. We have much to celebrate, and not just this podcast, as awesome as it is, uh, but we are a few days after, I should say a day after Easter, and so I hope you all had an Easter. Uh, had an Easter? Yeah, you had an Easter. Had a good Easter. I know I did. I uh, have the privilege of, as some of you know, that I get to pastor a church, and that's exciting. And so I get to preach on Easter Sunday and really had a great time with my family and found some other family in town and had a great time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, you had a great Easter, regardless of what you believe, and hopefully had a good day off, whatever you were up to. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back in action and have another great episode for you today, episode number 21. And Today, we hear from H. Claire Taylor, and I think H. Claire is the first humor writer that we've had on the show, and uh, if you've been following her around, and if you haven't, uh, you will get to know her, and she writes very funny, uh, satirical stories, and we had a, had a great conversation because some of her stories are about religion and kind of the goofiness of religion, and, and we had some great uh, conversation about how to, how to use humor as a way to talk about sometimes controversial issues or just a way to use humor to kind of lighten the reality of pain and struggle that we all have. And, and I really enjoyed, uh, hearing, uh, Claire's story and hearing about her journey into writing and how she kind of developed, uh, kind of the, I guess you would say the path of writing humor and, and satire and how she wrote in other genres, but really found her niche in humor and it's humor's not easy to write in uh, for obvious reasons and and I think humor is one of those genres that's difficult because humor is very subjective and what might be funny for one person might might not be funny for another sometimes we have very thin skin and think that you know certain kind of humor is just a way of making fun of people or hurting people and it can be all those things of course uh, but but I really uh, enjoy her book. I read her first book and it was really good. And the way she uses humor to kind of deal with some of her pain and, and deal with, with, with even just some of the stuff going on in the story, which is, you know, we all kind of tell our own stories through our own pain. And, and so we have a great conversation about that. And one of the things I loved about her story too, was that she really encourages us to think about writing for the long term and, and really finding your voice, finding what you really like to write and what you care about that that's much more important than just writing what you think will sell or what you think is popular at the time, because those things are going away, but to really write in a style and a way and a voice that you really care about 
in the way you want to communicate it. And so I think you really enjoy her time, our time together and uh, get a lot out of this interview with H Claire Taylor. And so I don't have any further updates at the moment, uh, but I'll be uh, letting you know about some things coming out soon, but I want to get right to the interview. Hope you had a great Easter and we will talk to you real soon. Never has the story of the old glory needed introduction or reduction. Well, uh, I just want to welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast, and I have a great guest today. H. Claire Taylor is on, I guess not the line, she's technically on the Skype chat video thing, if that's a way to say it. But hey, Claire, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, I wanted to have you on our show. Uh, I didn't really know of you until uh, I think a couple of weeks ago. We were in the same writer group, and actually what kind of intrigued me was you, you posted something in our little Facebook group, and you said that uh, your books were selling okay, and they happened to be comedy, satire. And you know, for those that are in the writing world, comedy, satire don't usually sell. And so you were celebrating your awesomeness. And uh, and I wanted to to just have you on the show one because I I, I kind of did a little research and and found you and and I love um, I love funny books I love satire and and I, I think this is a great conversation to have about I mean obviously your career and your experiences and things but also just comedy and satire and that genre and um, and I th- I'm seeing more popular books in that genre and just want to kind of debunk some of those myths that you can't be funny and have good books um, <laughs> so that's a lot that's a lot to cover. Um, but I want to, want to talk a little bit about that. So let's talk about you, uh, your kind of background and story and experiences. I know, um, you're, you're, you know, humor blogger and humor writer. And so talk a little bit about where the funny came from. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's a good coping mechanism for a lot of things. I think it's a good way to approach, um, really difficult subjects. And so I think that's kind of where it started for me, being able to um, tackle some things that were really bugging me. Um, but it also just, it, it's one of those things that just instantly makes me feel better. I don't know if it produces, you know, uh, good chemicals in my brain or what, but it's, it, I tried to write a lot of different stuff. I did lit fic uh, for a while in college because that was the only acceptable uh, kind of writing. And, uh, and it never really took, I could never get through a book. And then I started kind of playfully writing uh, more farce at the time. And I found myself finishing a novel. I mean, it was, well, the first one I finished before college. And then um, I, I tried to be super serious in college and that didn't work. Yeah, I think that's a, a real interesting conversation because I think, you know, humor and comedy, it, it can be very like personal it can be mm-hmm. very subjective because what we one person thinks is funny, another person doesn't. Um, but I, I love what you said there about coping. I think there's there's something that draws us to humor um, that's different. You know, our world is obviously you know there's pain and there's struggle, and that's just us individually, but also a world broadly. And, and yet, to be able to laugh, to be able to say, you know, it, it is good to laugh. It is good to to find mm-hmm. the the absurdity in all of us, right? Oh yeah, I think there's there's plenty to mine there, um, but also, I mean, I think that it is um, it's it's the way that the human brain uh, deals with stuff that it can't quite uh, process yet. I mean, humor is sort of a, a a process of something hits you that that you just know isn't right, or it it defies your expectation, and that is actually that unexpected twist is, is what can cause the humor. Um, and I think that by nature, humor is really subversive. And so it's kind of a good tool for people who are not in power. Uh-huh. Um, it's not funny to make people make fun of, you know, make jokes about people who have less power than you. It's, uh, it's always going to be more uh, acceptable and generally more humorous if you're making fun of things that are that have more power. That's interesting. I, I, I was just reading a book and they were talking about 
the Simpsons and just the prophetic nature of the Simpsons. And actually, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's been on for, was it, I don't even know, 30 years or something. I'm something crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the author was really just saying that if you really watch it closely, it's very prophetic and it's, it's kind of deals with the things that we kind of pass by that actually are, are absurd and the things that we buy into and the things that we think will make us happy and the things that we, you know, spend our time doing. And yet they're able to kind of unearth that in a very, you know, satirical way, which I think is brilliant. Oh yeah. I love the Simpsons. I grew up watching them. My mom banned them in the house a couple of times for (laughs) mature content, Sure, sure. but but they always came back. (laughs) Right. Or, or it's like the, you know, the Simpsons are interesting because it's, it's also the thing that we think about, but we'd never say. You know, yes. like, or the what ifs, so what if that happened? And then they just do it, you know, mm-hmm. and what if a guy did this? And then you see it and you just, it makes it really funny. Yeah. Um, so, so talk a little bit about, you, you just mentioned your, your mom, but, but talk about your family. I mean, do you have, do you have, you know, is your house, you're growing up, was it funny? Was it jokes? Was it, um, you, you know, where did that come from? Did you have a funny uncle that you hung around? T- talk a little bit about your kind of family and upbringing. Um, I, uh, well, I'm the youngest, so that might explain why I have to make jokes. And Need attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I mean, my, my dad had kind of a, a strange sense of humor, still has. He's he's still with us. <laughs> um, but growing up, yeah, he he had a pretty wacko sense of humor. Um, I think that a lot of it, uh, I didn't used to be all that funny. I was very quiet. Um, I think I probably started uh, really realizing how useful of a tool it could be towards like the end of middle school. Um, you know, when the trauma really starts to set right. in from the right. peers. Uh, so I, yeah, I think that that helped a lot. I think a lot of my sense of humor was developed from stuff like the Simpsons. Uh, that was a huge mm-hmm. influence, but also just various friends and trying to navigate social waters of um, not really being like a lot of the other girls growing up. And um, so I, th- I think that that slowly I started to realize, hey, this is a great way for people to actually listen to my point without their defenses going up so quickly that they um, ignore it or just say like, no, you're wrong. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I think, you know, you watch like, you know, SNL and you see, you know, Baldwin do the Trump stuff. It, it's actually kind of a, a, a way to get a point across, you know, through the back door, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and granted, it's, you know, over the top, it's parody. But but at the same time, you know, you kind of have to ask the question, OK, this is this really happening? And, you know, just the silly things that Trump says or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. but it does bring down your defenses, you know, and, and I think that's a, like you said earlier, you know, it is kind of a subversive, um, form, you know, to, to get your point across, whatever that point may be. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I, I started reading, um, your first book. I, I try to at least read my guest book, at least start. And, um, so I, I'm really enjoying it actually. And, and, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of, um, you talk about, um, you know, religion and, um, you know, the story that it's, it, I'm very intrigued cause I don't know where it's going, but it's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, uh, God speaking to this, you know, hillbilly guy and, and God speaking through a pig and all of that. Um, and, and so, so talk a little bit about, um, you know, this particular series that you wrote, um, that's, that's doing pretty well. And, uh, it's, 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 I think you have four books so far. Um, and the name of this series is, is it Jessica Christ? Is that the kind of the series, series, right? Um, and so talk a little bit about where this idea came from and, and kind of, cause you had written a couple other things, but, uh, yeah, talk a little bit about the kind of the genesis of this, these stories. Um, well, I had originally intended it to just be one book and then it, it very quickly spiraled out of control and I was like, great, more money. So, I, I started writing it. It was NaNoWriMo when I first wrote it. And so I wrote the first like 60,000 words um, in November of 2015, I think, and kind of sat on it for a while. But I think the genesis is just growing up in Texas as a female, you get some real weird messages. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up in Austin where I, I still live. So it wasn't, you know, too 
rural and there is, you know, differing opinions and diversity of thought and all that. But, um, yeah, some of my early experiences were very weird that I think anyone would be like, yeah, that's not healthy religion. And I'm definitely not against religion. Um, I'm against people being mean to each other, <laughs> whatever justification it is. So I remember, you know, growing up, I had next door neighbors who were just, I mean, one was like physically, he was a couple years older, he was physically and mentally abusive to me and, and would just shame me. Uh, because I was, you know, just a little heathen running around playing tackle football and whatever and cursing. Um, and uh, and so that really turned me off from it. And then I had some experiences that really, you know, kind of pulled me toward it. And it's just been kind of this back and forth where it's like, oh, this is really nice. And then something will come in and be like, oh, but, you know, this is the role of women or that sort of thing. So I, I think it's we're really in a, a interesting time where... Uh, a lot, like a lot of major religion, needs to come a little bit more into alignment with feminism, and I don't think they're incompatible. But I think a lot of people have uh, have closed off to that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what spurs it. I think really like the stuff that I write series about is the stuff that's really screaming at me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think because you you do use you know humor and you use satire and and, and I think it, it it does it forces you to kind of think about those issues. Um, you know, I'm, I'm unashamedly a Christian and, you know, yeah. and I, I read the book and, um, and, and I laughed because I, I know the goofy things that are in the church. I know the goofy things I've done. I know goofy things have been done to me. And, and one of the things that I, I, I just was laughing out loud is just, you know, I never know what to do when someone says, well, God spoke to me. And then they tell me something very off the wall and goofy, you know, and I just th- thought of that pig, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it's like, what do I, what do I do with that? And God told me to do this or God told me to do that. And how do I know that wasn't just the TV talking or, you know, (laughs) indigestion or, you know, I I don't know what to do with that. Um, but I think that's a a brilliant way of using a a creative artistic, you know, means to kind of convey some of that, um, goofy things that we do because sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we do have to laugh at the ways and the ways we've, I mean, I shouldn't say laugh at the ways we've hurt people, but also just laugh at the fact that we are all jacked up and we need help, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, so, yeah, so I, you know, I, I know, um, you know, writing can be, um, you know, uh, I had a, a author on that talked about writing being very much kind of counseling and healing for him, um, and just mm-hmm. some dark times in his life. Has, has that been true for you just to be able to kind of express yourself in, in, in the written form and kind of get yeah. that all on paper? I think it's I think it's fun to do that. I think it does make me feel better. Just getting into the flow of writing, no matter what I'm writing, feels good. Um, just to kind of get you know get out of your head in a way of like also just getting very deep into focus and that sort of thing is really nice and therapeutic in and of itself. I think what I like the most about writing satire is is when you push when I push the limit a little bit. And sort of dip my toe into um, a little bit, you know, sort of forbidden territory stuff that people don't like to talk about. I find that there are a lot of people who've really wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. and who connect with that. And so I think that's really important to because I think having a conversation and having the dialogue is is really important. But also people there's this stuff that's really like hurt people that they haven't really acknowledged. And to be able to laugh at it just kind of takes away the power of it. So it's really nice once I've found, like, now that I'm finding good readers, um, people saying, you know, I love this, this, I can't wait for the next one. And and I've had, you know, people who are, it's kind of funny because I have readers who are atheists and think that I'm agreeing with them as atheists. And then I have readers who are Christian think I'm agreeing with them as Christian. So I'm either doing satire really right or really wrong. I, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> Um, I think I, I don't see it so much as, as religion, you know, religious satire as like just human satire. Right. And, th- and that's, I think that's what's, uh, you know, from my camp w- where we get it wrong is we forget the humanness of, you know, the human side is that mm-hmm. well, all religion happens within, with real humans and real feelings and real yeah. experiences. Um, 
and and again, I, it's funny because you, you talk about bridging the gap of two different camps, and um, and again, I think that's why fiction is so powerful, is because you mm-hmm. can express some of these ideas, and it does disarm people. Because you know, you think about it like a nonfiction book, like someone picks it up, you pick it up, I pick it up. It's because you have a problem. I, hey, I want to solve this mm-hmm. problem. You know, read this book, um, and and it's very specific. But when you do it through a novel, it seems like sometimes you ask questions and you force people to ask questions that you're not really asking <laughs> and, and but, but they're good questions. They're things to consider. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's so many books that I've, I've read that um, I've been reading. I don't know if you ever read the Gilead uh, by Marilyn Robinson, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's kind of set in Iowa and it's, it's about this pastor and he's writing this story to his, his son and he's, you know, on his deathbed and are getting older. And, and he just talks about a lot of the pain of like pastoring a church and people are messy and there's evil in the world and there's abuse. And it's just very honest and raw. And I love that. You know, it, it just kind of like forces you to ask questions that well, I wasn't expecting to, think about these things, <laughs> um, you know, and how, how crazy I am and how much I need grace too. Um, but no, I, I love that. I, I think that's a, it's, again, it's a, it's a, um, you know, uh, who said it that, you know, comedians are the, the prophets of our age in some ways because they, they, <laughs> they tend to kind of tap into how things really are. Um, and maybe say things that others aren't able to say, but they go, oh, they're, they're comedians. They're funny, you know, but, but at times you go, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how we feel. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I would say that my favorite comedian for that reason is Louis CK. He does that better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. He walks that line. He says just some of the stuff he says is just awful and you just relate to it. And so you have to laugh about it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, yep, that's, that's true. And that's a dark part of humanity yeah. and we're going to laugh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, him, you see his, his brilliance because you know, he's doing it on purpose. I mean, he has a way of kind of like bringing both sides together by kind of <laughs> raising these crazy questions or saying these crazy <laughs> yeah. things. Uh, no, I, I think that's, it's a, it really is a skill and an art, but, um, so, so talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, you in the last, uh, I could have this wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the last couple of years, I mean, you've, you've written about seven books or so. Um, mm-hmm. where was kind of the, the beginning of, you know, talk a little bit about your writing kind of journey of just saying like, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to start writing the books, cranking out the words. Um, what was kind of the, what kind of set that off? Cause I know you're involved in some other things. You got a couple of podcasts, you blog, you write, you do all kinds of stuff. So talk a little about that. Well, the books have always been my main uh, goal. Uh, That's my favorite thing to write is the novels. I love the process. I love the long form. Uh, I love the character development. I even love the revision and, and editing and all that. So that's, that's the thing that I'm definitely most passionate about. The other stuff is mostly for variety, but I really, I, I started writing full time, I guess, about a year and a half ago. Um, And that wasn't necessarily planned, but it was, I was working a job and it like long, you know, office drama. Um, I was offered something and then it was pulled out from under me and I was like, forget this, I'm out. And then I kind of went to my husband, hey, can I be out? And he's like, yeah, of course, be out. So I just kind of took the leap before I was, uh, you know, making like, any profit of mention, you know? So I went in, it took a few months to decompress from the job and just the transition into like someone telling you what to do to suddenly you make your own schedule. It's, it's crazy. Uh, so after a few months, I really dove in and I actually started writing like erotic romance. Cause I was like, I see how I can turn this out real easy. I used to edit erotic romance in house. It was a, that was a completely different story. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it was a genre I was familiar with. I was like, yeah, this is fun. We'll write it, you know, do that. I probably wrote three or 400 words or 400,000 words in like three or four months and was like, if I have to see any more of this, <laughs> I'm just going off into the woods and never coming back. So it, it really was a failed experiment on my part, uh, trying to write something I wasn't truly passionate about. And just, you know, oh, I can do this and crank it out. And it was, it was good for erotica, but it was still, I didn't care about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a community I really wanted to be a part of and, you know, really 
go and meet people and network. And I just didn't have the passion for it. So then I started, I went back to just the comedy and, uh, I can't write 7,000 words of comedy in a day like I could with erotic romance, but I can write three or 4,000 in a day. And I feel really good about that. So, um, so once I got over my whole, I'm going to write erotica and make money off that, even though I hate it thing, it, it was, it was a slow process, but, uh, I started building, especially the, I guess I, I wrote the first draft of the Jessica Christ uh, books the November after I gave up on um, the erotic romance. And from there, it just, it was like, yep, this is what I want to do. I know it's not going to be a, a huge moneymaker. Like if I went into sci-fi or, uh, or even just, you know, contemporary romance or any, you know, any paranormal romance, whatever. But I was like, I'm going to make it work. I'm just stubborn enough to make this work. Well, that's great because I, I think you're, you're tapping into something that I hear so often. I've, I don't know, I interviewed 30 people now or whatever. And, um, it, it's, you know, writing what you genuinely love and are passionate about, excited about, you know, yeah, there are genres you could write and probably make more money in. Um, but you know, you, have, you still have to sit at the, <laughs> sit at the keyboard every day and enjoy mm-hmm. it. And, and, you know, what's long-term, what do you really want to kind of produce? And, uh, you know, that, that, that's not easy though. That's not easy when you're going, okay, I'm my own boss. I'm trying to provide some money for the family. Um, I could make more money doing romance as, Mm -hmm. you know, as we know about romance authors, they write 900 books a day, you know, Um, (laughs) but, you know, but to say, I, I really want to do this and this is what I think, you know, I'm called to do. Um, is, is I think really respectable too. And, and, and I think it's, you know, in the end, like as writers, like not chasing money and not just chasing, you know, bestseller lists. I mean, those are all great and fine, but I don't think that validates you either. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how many writers were discovered, you know, years and years after they were gone <laughs> and art and painters and artists <laughs> yeah. and, and all those things. I mean, that became even more famous, you know, long after they were gone. But, um, so yeah, so let, let, let's talk a little bit just as I, I hear you kind of talking, um, a little bit of process. Um, so let, let's go, let's, we'll, we'll throw it in reverse a little bit. So let's go back to the day jobs gone. You're like, okay, don't have a job. I'm going to write full time. Um, what did that kind of process look like? I mean, was there a, a point where you said, okay, here's how many words I need to write a day. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, did you have any goals in mind? I need to write this amount, amount of books. Kind of what does the day to day look like or, or even start from that kind of beginning, uh, full-time career part. Yeah. Uh, well, I, when I get nervous, I like to plan. So I was very nervous and I planned a lot. Uh, and it was trial and error. At first I was writing at night and then I realized I can't write at night. I'm too distracted. I don't, I mean, I can, but it's forcing. It's not that sort of flow that I get in the morning. So, so it was a lot of trial and error. See what works best for me. I read a lot of books of people saying, this is what, what works best for me and it's going to work best for you. And that's never true. Um, but you know, good for them for making money off those books. (laughs) And so it, it's, it was a lot of failing at stuff and getting frustrated with myself and being like, I need to write every single day, which for me is just not true. I need days off here and there to just go be a person. And uh, so, you know, some people have to do that every day. If I go two or three days without writing, it's not the end of the world. I can come back and I can sit down and it takes a little bit of extra, but I usually have something more to give uh, because I've gone and... I don't know, interacted with another human being or whatever. And so, so it was really feeling out. I, I work in sort of these cycles. I, I'm not always consistent. There are days when I'm just like, I don't have it in me. Uh, but I've had to learn when to identify that I don't actually have it in me and when I'm just being lazy. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a learning process, a sort of self-discovery of my own work habits, which you know, a lot of people never get a chance to discover their own work habits because everything's so structured. And so it took a little while, but um, eventually I thought, okay, how many books do I want to write a year? How many books would I be happy with in a year? And so that took a little bit of research of, you know, the best release schedule. And, and of course, you know, everyone's like, yeah, 
release like a book a month. It's great. Okay. Yeah. I'll just do that. That's not, I can't. So it was figuring out what I can do versus what would be optimal. And I figured about four to six books a year is doable for me if I'm really productive. And even if I'm not really productive, three books a year is still pretty awesome. Let's be real. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, you talk to any any traditionally published person, they're like, wait, how many books do you write a year? Uh-huh. So it's really about perspective. And, you know, most people never write a book. Uh-huh. So every every book, it's like a mm, little pat on the back. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, you got to celebrate. But uh, so once I figure out how many books I want to write a year, I work backwards. So I have a spreadsheet that's uh, my... I usually, well, it's 90 days spreadsheet, but it usually, I mean, this one's 150 days. It's one that I'm doing now just because I need to kind of figure out how I'm going to plan out through September or to September. Um, so I have, this is, this is my whole convoluted process. I have sticky notes on my wall for each month of the year. And then I put a sticky note underneath it under, underneath the months of what book is going to come out then. And so then I'm like, okay, I want these, I want it spaced out like this. And then I put that on my schedule for the day. You know, okay. I think my next release right now is scheduled for like August 15th or something. So then, all right, well, I need uh, two weeks ahead of that. I need to get it to the proofreader. And then two weeks, you know, before that, I need to get it uh, to my beta readers and have a little cushion for me to make adjustments. And so that means that I need to do my revisions on these days. And I've pretty much gotten it down uh, so that I know my books are about 60,000 words. Unless I start outlining it and I'm like, whoa, this is a monster. Like my last one was, you know, 100,000 words. But all of the ones before it are pretty much 60,000 words. Uh-huh. Uh, so then I know how much, like how many uh, weeks it's going to take me to draft and how many, uh, how much time it'll take me to revise. So I work backwards from there. And if it doesn't add up, then I have to bump the date back. So that's, I mean, that's how I plan. And right now I have myself writing about 3,000 words, six days a week. And I do that first thing in the morning, knock it out. And then honestly, I don't care what happens for the rest of the day if I get those 3,000 words in. It's it's fine. It's like, ah, oh, tornado, whatever. We're fine. I got my 3,000 words in. So that's that's pretty much how I schedule that. And it, it it's worked out really well. So how how do you determine um, as far as like series, next project? You know, I know mm-hmm. you have a couple other things going on, like podcasts, all that. Like, how do you mm-hmm. pr- prioritize? What's that that process been look like for you? Is is you know whatever's making me money, I do that, or do you got other series in the in the hopper? How are you thinking through that? I do. I'm working. I'm co-writing a series right now. That okay. um, I think the first four books are going to be out this year, and that is um, that project came about so it's it's like a paranormal cop comedy that I'm writing and my husband's a cop and so it it was very relevant uh, (laughs) topics there's a there's a lot to be discussed on that right now Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that comedy is basically the only way to go about it everyone's angry so let's let's just let's explore it with comedy and with paranormal beings so that (laughs) <laughs> it's not too close of a par- parallel. Right. Um, so that that project is has just been brewing for a, a long time. And I think that it's something that is going to be a lot uh, less labor intensive than the Jessica Christ series because the Jessica Christ series is really hard to craft. Um, and it's one of those things that I want it to be airtight. It's not so much plot based, you know, it's more character driven. There's a lot of different threads. And I, so the, the sort of high action comedy thing is going to be, you know, cop comedy is going to be a lot easier. Um, so I, I, I go with what, what stories are screaming at me. I mean, I have a lot of ideas, but I prioritize on what I think I'm going to be passionate about and what I think I can do really well. Other than that, I mean, I write comedy. Clearly, I'm not in this because I'm planning on making millions of dollars. Although, if HBO wants to call me up, I will answer. <laughs> but other than that, I'm I'm not, you know, banking. I would be very happy with making a, a modest living, or even okay, a, a healthy living, <laughs> mm-hmm. an easy living, 
um, and be relatively unknown. That would be fine. You know, I, I mean, I don't need to, I don't want this to take off. Yeah. Well, I do want it to take off obviously, but it's, it's not something I'm pushing for. I want a few people who really need to read my stuff to read my stuff. And I want to feel secure financially, which doesn't take much for me. And, um, I want to have, you know, money to spare for the things I care about, the causes and the people and that sort of thing. That's great. I think that's a great, great perspective you have on that. Because um, I think, I think too, because writing's such an up and down thing. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. write some fiction and nonfiction too, and it's like if you're banking your soul and your identity on the paycheck, you know, <laughs> you're going to be yeah. very disappointed. Um, but, you know, thinking the long-term, long game I think is important. Quite frankly, I'm shocked anytime someone buys a product that I just made up. <laughs> right, right. Like, wait, are you sure? Like, <laughs> I know. You can return that. Um, You're going to pay me? Yeah, okay. she pushed the wrong button. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. At one click. So, uh, so let me uh, let me drill down a little bit further on your, your process um, mm-hmm. as far as – you know, those 3000 words, are those, uh, are you working like one project at a time? Is that a combination of projects? Um, how do you, do you have multiple things going at one time? How do you, how do you kind of work that? I found that I can only draft one project at a time. Uh, I've tried to switch it up, but my brain space doesn't, I don't transition well between story universes. So I'll be, you know, drafting one, and then doing revisions on a different one because it's completely different. I feel like that's a different hemisphere of my brain revisions versus, you know, it's deconstructive versus constructive. Mm -hmm. And so I can do that. But when I'm drafting, I just draft. And so it's, I'm going to knock this book out in three weeks or a month or whatever, you know, the length requires. And then, you know, I like to have a little space between when I draft it and when I revise it, at least a couple days uh, just to clear my mind and forget some of the stuff that happens so that when I go back, you know, it's fresh and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do one at a time, but I can switch back and forth, like in between books. Like I don't have to do the entire series at a time. I can go between series, but when I'm drafting one book, I just draft one book. Mm-hmm. Now do you, when you revise, do you, do you go back in and revise as you're going? Do you go straight through? How, how's that process been kind of as you've been figuring out your own kind of rhythms? Um, I usually go through, so I'll, I'm trying, I'm trying to fine tune it because I can go through four or five times. Uh, I, you know, I've done editing professionally in house. I now do freelance editing and I really like the story structure. And, you know, I taught, I taught English, um, for a while, high school and middle school English. And I just love the story element and I could revise for years. Uh, so I'm trying to really hone that. So what I've gotten it down to now is I draft on a, a pretty uh, concise, well, it's a detailed outline, and I have beats and all that. So I know the story is in place. As I'm drafting, sometimes I'll be like, ooh, I think I need a scene here, and I'll just put a little note for later and forget about it. And then a lot of the times I'll, when I go back for revision, I'm like, I actually don't need that scene, or okay, I'll write that scene. But so once it's it's time for revision, I start at the beginning and I just read through. And I I read through pretty quickly. I change I, I do copy changes. I um if so you know, if something isn't working, I'll cut. So that's like the big it's just a big sloppy revision the first time through. But I do it chronologically because I have to remember how things flow. If I don't do it chronologically, then I end up being like, ooh, I'm gonna insert this detail here, and then it, you know, it's like, well, she wouldn't know that yet because she doesn't find out about that till later. And so it gets all out of order. So I do it chronologically. And uh, if I see something that's like a huge, like, whoa, <laughs> I need to rework this, I just leave a note for the second pass. So then I, uh, you know, or if I see like a section and I'm like, oh, that's not funny. But at this point, I want to keep my momentum up and I'll come back when I'm fresh and make it funny. I'll just highlight it. Uh-huh. So then I have a bunch of, you know, it's been changed. It's gotten a second draft and I have a bunch of notes. And then I just go back and do the notes. And that takes maybe like a day or two. So that's, once I have all that through, then I, um, if if there's anything, I'll usually sit on it a day because sometimes, you know, I'll be like in the shower and be like, oh no, I need to write this. I need to add this before I send it to the beta readers. <laughs> and, you know, or I'm driving and, you know, so those places where just uh, 
garbage sometimes pops into your head and sometimes genius ideas. And so I like to give it at least a day or two to process when I'm not in the frenzy of it. And then I send it to beta readers. And um, I found a couple really good beta readers who will just call me out like, that's not funny. Or that character would never do that. So I found some really brutally honest beta readers. And uh, so that's a huge help. So that's that's pretty much my my revision process. Once they come back with something like this didn't work, then sometimes I'll do major revisions. I've I've completely rewritten an ending uh, to a book before, but that's not ideal. So uh, I'll I'll do about three or four days of revisions after I get it back from the beta readers, if necessary, and then I send it off to proofreading. Okay. And then once you um, get your you know, book all pretty and polished. Uh, what's kind of been your, you know, process for marketing, sharing the word, sharing the love? Um, I really like your covers, by the way. And oh, thanks. Uh, so what, what does that process look like? What's been kind of helpful for you? Those, I know we have a lot of writers listening, so. Um, oh man, I, I'm not entirely convinced I'm great at marketing, but I think that I am building a following that connects well and interacts well. Uh, my mailing list is small but potent, and so when I have a new release, I'll, I'll sort of do teases leading up to it, and that's fun. Uh, one one time, I think maybe the second book of the series, I did like I embroidered the little logo from the front on a cover and kind of put it on Instagram. Use that as like promotional materials and stuff, just you know, goofy, ridiculous stuff. And to try and stir up some excitement. And then when I publish it, I, I do Facebook ads. I do Amazon ads. I email it to my list a couple times. Um, I post it on my Facebook author page. And if I if I if, if the price put point is good uh, for it, I'll send it out to promo lists. But I don't do the 99 cent free first book. Uh-huh. And I, I don't find that I need to. Um, I think there are probably some genres where it's expected, but I think I put a lot of work into my book. I think it's long enough, and I think it's substantial enough that I don't mind asking people to pay four ninety nine for it. Right. So you that new book, you you do the ads for those and full price, mm-hmm. and don't just here it is and pick it up. Yep. Yep. Um, my yeah, I changed some copy recently. Like I changed my book description, and that helps because I I always write my book descriptions. And um, my podcast co-host, Brian Cohen, is uh, the blurb expert. Uh-huh. And and so um, I had winged him into helping me out. And so he wrote some good ones, and that's really helped. I think that's helped the conversion. I'm still going to play around with it because that's the great part of being an indie is you can always play around with copy and see if it helps uh-huh. or if it hurts and then just change it back. Sure. Uh, yeah, so it, which is something I love. Um doing and then the covers i mean i went through the 99 designs excuse me i went through the 99 designs process for a cover and i got something and i was like this is pretty good and i was about to publish with it and then i was like i don't think this is very good (laughs) and so (laughs) so i i asked my uh my beta readers and a couple other like authors like, you guys have been lying to me, haven't you? This is terrible. And they're like, yeah, sorry. So at that point, I was like, don't ever do that again. And, you know, so then I just went and made my own. And um, and that's, I like to publish without any cost uh-huh. in the process. So, right. so I could probably do it better, but I don't know what comedy covers look like. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's probably tricky, actually. I mean, you know, do you make it really goofy? Do you make it, I mean, what? yeah, what does a comedy cover look like i mean i don't know i was like all right let's see what like christopher moore is doing and he right. does you know this and oh you know let's see what terry pratchett's doing mm-hmm. it's all just kind of goofy cartoons and so i was like i'll do a little bit of that a little bit of south park and we'll throw it on there sure yeah they look great i think they're they're branded well and catch <laughs> your eye so um, <laughs> it's that yellow <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> gotta be annoying a little bit there you go uh so so What's kind of you? You mentioned um, a new series uh, in the works. What, what's mm-hmm. kind of the next project? What are you working on? What are you looking forward to? Um, are there going to be more books in the uh, Jessica Christ series? Oh yeah, uh, uh, I, I originally planned to do 
six books in the Jessica Christ series that was like, I was like, I think I could pretty much nail the arc that I'm thinking. And now I'm like, why would I stop? I'm just going to ride this thing out into the sunset. Like, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's fun, you know, we'll see how, how long I can make it last. And I think there's, you know, potential for even once, if I finish this story, I think there's potential for short stories and, you know, side stories and other things from the universe. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Dean is the antagonist throughout and but i just love writing him uh-huh. he's like a total sleaze and you know he's he's just like a <clears throat> kind of like a carpet bagger you know traveling salesman's shyster type and so he's so fun to write so i'm like i want to do a spinoff of his early you know years or whatever and uh so i i think this universe is going to keep going just because i'm enjoying it a lot uh-huh. and then uh i've also found that this one appeals it's easiest to market to women Although I think that it appeals to a lot of people. My favorite reviews are, you know, like the 20, 30 something men who are like, I never thought I would like a book that's about a girl growing up, mm-hmm. but this is great. <laughs> and uh, so those are always nice. Cause I'm like, yeah, see, I think this is for everyone, but I'm only marketing to women because it's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other series that's coming out, my uh, paranormal cop comedy I'm co-writing is going to be very dark marketing to men. Like, you know, I think women are going to like it. Obviously, I'm a woman and I'm writing it and I'll like it. But I think that the vast majority is going to be a male audience. Uh-huh. And so that's going to be kind of fun to bounce between those worlds and um, be able to kind of play in two different universes. The The cop one is, is very, it's very dark. Uh-huh. But it's, uh, so it's kind of that extreme laugh because it's so absurd but I, I don't have to hold back with it because um, there's just a lot that, you know, I would hate to sanitize police work uh-huh. because it is just super intense and people don't know. And uh, so it'll be, I'll have those two outlets and I, I'm just going to ride those as long as I can. And if a third comes up, I mean, I have other series that I have worked on that I haven't published because it's just, you know, not the time. Like I have a young adult that I really like, young adult fantasy uh-huh. that I've been writing here and there. Um, I have a romantic comedy that I published, The Singles Guide to Texas Roadways, a couple years ago. And I have a sequel I want to write to that, but uh-huh. I haven't gotten to that. So I have I have lots of stuff. I mean, writer's block has never really been a thing for me, uh-huh. um, which I'm very lucky to, <laughs> to be able to say that. But yeah, I think two main series is, is pretty good. And then the podcast and a blog, and I'm pretty much set for the next five years. <laughs> Well, great. So one one question we always love to ask, um, well, there's probably two. One will be where we can find you in your work, but also uh, just the aspiring writer, someone maybe in your shoes, you know, a year and a half ago, thinking about writing a book, finishing a book. Um, what You know, what's some of the advice, counsel you'd give someone starting out that you've kind of learned along the way that you've, you have found helpful? Uh, I think the trick is to not stop and – that's, I mean, that's the main trick is you just, you just keep writing. Eventually something will stick and you'll find people who like it and that'll energize you. Um, but also find a small group, maybe two to five people who will be painfully honest with you, uh, who, who know you really well, who, you know, there has to be that intimacy and mutual respect. Um, and who will just say, you know, Claire, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, who, if you're lucky, you'll find people who are brutally honest, but also know how to say it so that you don't have to go, you know, take a shot of whiskey afterwards. <laughs> but it, yeah, so I think that is huge, having a few confidants. I, I'm really against putting pearls before swine uh, and really leaving yourself vulnerable to a large internet group. I think that that is a recipe for, uh, first of all, you ask enough people a question and you're going to get completely opposing answers. And then what do you do? Uh, you, you know, if you don't know the people, you don't know their background. I don't think that's, that's particularly useful. I think here and there, you know, superficial questions. Yes. But, but I, I think that you need to find a community, uh, like a very, very small community. Uh-huh. Um, I have two friends that, two author friends who it's like, I can run anything by them 
and they'll say yes or no, and they'll be honest, and I trust their opinions. I think they have really good opinions. Um, and then I'm part of a mastermind group, and that's really nice because that usually more business. Um, and they, I mean, granted, they've kind of been like, maybe you should write something that makes money if you want money, <laughs> uh, which is a very valid point. Uh, but they, they're all people who I trust and who we have a good time with. And uh, I know I can be myself and put forth my my very personal work and know that it's it's going to be met with honesty and hopefully a little compassion. Well, I think that's great advice. I mean, I think that's having a community that's honest and, and even I think when it's hard, when it just gets hard, it's someone to talk to and just say, Hey, oh, for sure. I'm struggling, you know? Um, yeah. There, there's something about, you know, mass, you know, Facebook groups can be helpful if you're just asking basic questions. But you know, when you get 175 responses to a basic question, you're like, now I don't know what to do. Now I'm well, right. more, and you get, more confused. So of those 175 responses, probably 50 are for people who don't know how to just be like, nice human beings or, or just showing up to criticize your work to make themselves feel better. And that's not helping. You know, it's, you got to be very careful, especially in an industry like this. And when you're writing stuff that's really meaningful to you, you have to be careful about where you put your energy and who you open yourself up to artistically, um, throughout the process, because that can be a real setback. Good advice. Good advice. So lastly, Claire, where can we find you? All your books, all your musings, all your funny. Uh, what's the best place to find you? Uh, I guess the the main hub of that is hclairetaylor.com. And you can my blog is hclairblogs.com, but there's a link to that from, um, from my website. And my podcast is Something Nice to Say, Very Not Safe for Work. And that's on iTunes. Um, and then all of, you can find me on Facebook too. At, I think Facebook slash author H Claire Taylor or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Great. But yeah, I'm, I'm on, I'm around Instagram. I have Snapchat, but I haven't been on there in years cause it's terrifying. So. <laughs> Where all the cool kids hang out, we can find you. <laughs> uh, well, Hey, thanks Claire so much for, for coming on the show and Thank you. Uh, people are really going to enjoy your books and your humor and just keep on writing and keep sharing your work. And, uh, yeah, you're going to bless a lot of people. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to have been here. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. You too. Thanks for stopping by the prolific writer podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world and head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources, and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time. Hold up. 